So we're in Acts chapter 16. The reason I'm, we're going through this today is today, um, well, kind of around about now, not exactly today, it's been two years since St. Thomas is launched. Um, most of that has been in a pandemic. Um, me, Lee and I were going through the, our service register early, earlier today. We've had now twice as many services in St. Hilda's, which isn't actually our physical home as we have had in in St. Thomas's. Um, God has done so much. The staff team spent nearly two hours just writing down everything that God uh, has done. We went um, season by season since 2019 on January, and it is amazing, the faithfulness of God. Um, I always want to say, despite the pandemic, but in the pandemic, um, God was not surprised by any of it. And um, look around. God has been so good to us. Two years ago when St. Thomas's launched, um, I preached on Acts chapter 16, which is the account of Paul and a group of people planting a church in the city of Philippi. And I just want to recap very briefly the vision that God has given us here at St. Thomas's to be the resource church for the, for the diocese and the region, what Bishop Christine has called and asked us to do. So Acts chapter 16, we're going to start at verse 6 and do follow along. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out at sea and sailed straight for Samanthrake, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates of the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to some of the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatria named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit which predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the net said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs that it is unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd then joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been flogged, they were thrown into, the, into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. 
When he received those orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was the sound of a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison floors do open, do, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that all of the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole house. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them and was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is the word of the Lord. So we're celebrating um, two years since St. Thomas is launched as the resource church. We're giving thanks for all that God has done, but we're also taking a moment to look to the future at what God is still calling us to do in this city and in this region. St. Thomas's has been called by God to play our part in seeing the North East transformed, not by our own works, not by anything special that we can do, but by the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's so many fantastic churches in the region working towards that. We're just playing a tiny, tiny part. The question I just want us to ask briefly today from these verses in Acts 16 is what can we learn from this church that was planted in this ancient city of Philippi that went on to see its region transformed? There's three things I want us to look at um, briefly. The first is the importance of people. You'll see this in our vision statement, building community. The second is our purpose. You'll see that in our vision statement as following Jesus. And the last bit is gospel power. And you'll see that in our vision statement in terms of loving Newcastle. So firstly, people building community. The church, first and foremost, is all about Jesus Christ, his rule, his reign, God's sovereignty over all of us and his people. And St. Thomas says, we are no exception. Now, we've been called by God to play our part in seeing the region transformed. Now, when you think about it, that is an audacious and outrageous vision. Bishop Christine was talking about some of the church statistics from um, the 1850s. Um, Church attendance is no better now than it was then. We're longing to see people rescued and saved as they encounter the good news of Jesus. It's an audacious vision statement. However, if people are not at the forefront of everything that we do, we will not be able to achieve the stuff that God is asking us to do. Because it's all about people. Look at verse 6 with me. Paul was travelling with his companions. Roger was talking about what he loves about St. Thomas's is how lots of people are involved in leading lots of different things. 
Church is not just the job of one or two people. It's for all of us. What I love about when you, when you read the book of Acts, particularly this chapter, and you see the story of how these churches were transformed, Luke's writing it, who was traveling with this little church planting team, and he'd say, we went there. We concluded together. We went over there. He's always talking about we. Church is only the church. Church can only be healthy church when it's done in the context of community and family. These two baptisms that we just saw today of Ben and Ollie, we welcome them into the fellowship of faith, which is a family. When Paul talks about baptism, he taught in Romans chapter 6, he goes on to talk about the doctrine of adoption, how God adopts us as his children. The language of the New Testament when it talks about church is the language of family. Reverend Mike Pilavacci, who many of you may have heard of, he put it like this. The church is not called to be a business, but a family. The world is not crying out for more products. People are just desperate to belong. Now, we've seen that in the pandemic, haven't we? People are desperate to find a sense of belonging where they can be known and where they can be loved and where they can be open and vulnerable. And at its best, that is the church. It's not going to be courses or programs or vision statements that bring transformation. It's going to be people behaving as family, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming that Jesus is the way to salvation, to the glory of God the Father. God works through people. Church, it's as we serve one another, it's as we love one another, that people will know, Jesus said, that we are his disciples. And that is why, for those of you that have joined us maybe in September, we spent the whole month of September going through a sermon series called Our Family Home, where we talked about the way that we feel called to love one another and serve one another and be humble with one another and prefer one another. Because we can have the most outrageous vision statement in the world. But as we said throughout that sermon series, culture eats strategy for breakfast. When people come into St. Thomas's, they don't feel the vision statement. They feel the way that we love one another. We're called to do what God has called us to do together. If you look at verse 10, this is really significant. Again, it's just a, it's a really simple descriptive line from Luke, but he says this, they concluded together that they were going to go to Philippi. Before this, they had no idea where they were going to go. A little bit like um, Bishop Christine and I had no idea at one point where the resource church for the diocese was going to be. But we knew that we were going together. And that makes all the difference. They concluded together. Now, we don't know what the future holds. One of the, you know, one of the lessons of the past two years is that something can just come so unexpectedly, can't it, and change everything overnight. We don't know the, all of the details of what St. Thomas, is going, St. Thomas is going to do, where we're going to go, where we're going to plant new churches. But one thing that we do know is that we can do it together and go together. There's an old African proverb that I love that goes like this. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Now, church, we can't go anywhere without you. 
This isn't about me. It's not about Lee. It's not about the staff team. It's not even about the bishop. It's about all of us called by God going together. Now, this is the kind of family that we want to be. Following God together in love with humility, preferring one another. And if you think over the past two years, when St. Thomas's um, launched, we inherited um, a wonderful bunch of people, some of whom are here today, John, Pearson's at, John Pearson, our church wardens at the back. Um, a few of us moved up from other places in the, in the country, um, mainly York. And that was the church family. But look now, people are being baptised and added to our number. People are finding a home at St. Thomas's. Um, and it's just as much your church as it is mine, all those of us that move from York. We're called to go together. The question is, what are we called to go together to do? Now, that's the second P, purpose, which we have in our vision statement as following Jesus. So in the Bible passage, this little planting team have been concluding together, praying together, following God's call together, and they're working out where they should be going. They get this word from God that they're to go to Philippi, um, Macedonia. Um, that's in verses 9 and in verses 10. But they conclude very quickly, and this is really obvious, that the reason that they've been called there is to preach the gospel to that city. Now, the call on us is the same, to share the good news of Jesus, to to share with everybody that God in all of his fullness was pleased to come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to take away all of, the, all of the stuff that was wrong in my life so that I could be free and rise to new life so that I might have life and life in all of its fullness. No, that message is for you as well. And that's the gospel message that we're called to proclaim to the region. This was the purpose of the church in Philippi and this is the purpose of all churches today. And this is the purpose of us here at St. Thomas's to share the good news of Jesus. When Bishop Christine arrived in the diocese, she um, brought a new vision statement which was worked out um, with the rest of the diocese, growing church and bringing hope. How do we grow church and how do we bring hope? By living out and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Now, we just, again, back to, the, back to Ollie and Ben's baptisms. This is true for all of us. This isn't just about vicars or clergy preaching the good news of Jesus. It's for all of us. If you're here today and you're following Jesus, you have been equipped and called to share the good news of Jesus. If you are baptised, you are in full-time ministry. It might not be as a vicar. It may be as a teacher. It might be as a... It might be in retail, it could be anywhere. But if you're following Jesus and baptised, you are in full-time ministry. So I could say something like this to Bishop Christine. Bishop Christine, why stoop to be the Prime Minister if God has called you to be a bishop? Or to Mia, Mia, why stoop to be a vicar if God has called you to be a teacher? Do what it is that God has called you to do, wherever it is that he's called you. And you are playing your part in growing church and bringing hope. You are playing your part in serving the transformation of the Northeast. All of us are called to do this. Now, if you look at verses 11 to 15 with me, the team land in Philippi and they, began, they begin sharing the gospel. And the first person that they meet is a businesswoman called Lydia. 
Now, she was a dealer in purple cloth, which meant she was probably quite wealthy. Um, And she basically hears the good news of Jesus. There's a lot I could say about that, but she hears the good news of Jesus. And her whole household were baptised into the church. Now, imagine the impact that that one encounter had on on Lydia's business. Imagine the the impact that that one encounter had on her employees, on her neighbours, on everybody around her, and eventually on the all on the whole region. Now, take a look around at the number of people here in at St Hilda's, St Thomas's today. Imagine the impact on the region if we were to really live out the fact that all of us are called and in full time ministry. Mia was one of the last people to be baptised before, um, before Ben and Ollie. And Mia is now a full-time teacher. Imagine the impact on her school because she's now following Jesus. Roxanne was baptised just a few months ago. Imagine the impact in her workplace as she travels on the train every day or works from home. Um, imagine the impact on her way- workplace because she now knows that she's rescued and loved by Jesus. Think about the impact that together we could have on the region because of what God has called us to do. Our purpose is to share the good news of Jesus and it's for all of us. Now the third P is power. Now we sum this up in our vision statement in terms of you know, power to love Newcastle. Now what happens when you have a group of people who are committed together to doing family together and doing community together and proclaiming the gospel together, where you begin to see the power of God at work, not in them, but through them for the region. And we certainly begin to see that, don't we, in Acts chapter 16. So verses 11 to 15, Lydia and her whole household are baptised. In verses 16 to 18, a young slave girl encounters the good news of Jesus. Now, this young slave girl, it's quite, her story would have been quite tragic. She was most likely trafficked in, in slavery to work for these people that she's, she's working for. She's most likely just a young teenager. She's probably been, been trafficked for sexual exploitation as well as everything else. And she encounters the good news of Jesus Christ. And it complete, imagine it completely changes her life. It has huge repercussions on the people that she's working for. They feel that they owned her, that they could do what they want to her. But now she knows that she's owned not by a group of abusers, but by the God of heaven himself. Now this has such an impact on the people that this young slave girl is working for that they basically have Paul and the little church planting team thrown into prison. And what happens next is you think that might be the end of the story. They're going to be beaten, they're going to be flogged, they're locked in a cell. And what happens next is that a whole prison is transformed. So the jailer and his whole household end up becoming Christians and encountering the love of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely extraordinary. Now what I want us to notice as we briefly look at these verses is this. In this passage, we have a businesswoman a young trafficked slave girl 
and a jailer all respond to the good news of Jesus. They're from completely different backgrounds. They have totally different life experiences. They have totally different amounts of money and bank accounts. They seem to have nothing in common at all. One is rich and at the top of society. Another is literally in slavery. Another is suicidal. One's demonically possessed. One's very young. The others are probably a little bit older. One has employees. One is an employee. And yet they all have one thing in common. They all need the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, church, there's no one that we should not share the good news of Jesus with. No one's too bad. No one's too poor. No one's too young. No one is too old. Everybody needs to hear the good news of Jesus. Now, do you see the kind of community that the church should be? How diverse and yet united it is. Now, wouldn't it be fantastic if not just through St. Thomas's, but through all of the churches in this region, we could see similar things happen. Systems of systemic injustice challenged. Institutions like, like prisons, universities, schools completely transformed. Businesses transformed for the good news of Jesus. Signs and wonders on the streets. Isaiah 43, if God has done it before, he can do it again. Now, this is what we're praying for here in Newcastle. St. Thomas's church isn't just about having a cosy time on a Sunday, a holy huddle. It's about us being family with a purpose and displaying the power of God. Now, all of this leads people in the city, particularly the jailer, to ask this question of Paul and the church planting team. What must I do to be saved? Ben has asked that question. Ollie has asked that question. What must I do to be saved? And the answer for anyone asking that today is the same now as it was then. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, at Philippi, this was deep, deeply countercultural. People worshipped Caesar as Lord. To proclaim Jesus as Lord was deeply subversive. The same might be true here in Newcastle. There's 55,000 people worshipping at a little cathedral called St. James's Park down the road at the minute. To worship something other than football might look deeply, deeply countercultural and subversive. And yet for us to proclaim Jesus as Lord is the only way that we can have hope and be saved. So as we look back over two years of as what God has done with us as a church, and as we look forward to what God is calling us to do in the future, it's basically the same. To love one another and be family, to do church really well and healthily together. for all of us to play our part in word and deed in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ so that we can see this beautiful, amazing part of the world transformed and people coming to know the God who created them. So I guess the question for all of us two years on is, and some of you may have only joined the church in the last few weeks, I know a few of you have. The question two years on is, are we still up for it? 
Are we up for playing our part in what God is calling us to do? Can I invite you to stand where you are as we respond and as the band come up?